You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. That sounded crisp in my ears. That sounded very unsatisfying in my ears. What are you drinking there? I'm loading up here, Kirk. That's a Red Thunder. I'm dragging today. But I need to be high energy because I have an episode for you that I'm going to have to moderate because you don't know a thing about it. I need to be popping today. I haven't decided if I like this or not. You're keeping me in the dark, and I don't, I don't know why. I can understand that it would be disconcerting. Uh-huh. The moment I say it, though, you're going to be like, oh, okay, I like this. Okay, well, let's just or not. delay slightly. Why are you so tired? Your screen name today is tired. Why are you so fatigued, Bracken? I've just been doing more in general, and I'm just tired. You asked, do I get, I think you asked me on, on air or something, uh, do I get seasonal affective? Mm-hmm. My answer is no, I don't. It's very common in the Midwest and above to get that seasonal affective disorder where you're just depressed in winter because you don't see the sun much. I don't think I get that. But I think as I'm aging, I'm getting that, but with tired. <laughs> Seasonal affective, tired. You're not sad. You're just sleepy. I'm just sleepy. And mm. I, I had uh, this week kicked off the next stage of training. I'm doing what I was doing, but I'm adding in more. And yesterday was a double threshold day. I'm just tired. It's good to be tired. If there's, a, there's a kind of tired in which you feel like you've earned and you're satisfied with. And then there's a kind of tired when you've made poor life decisions and you're burning the candle at both ends kind of tired. Yeah. That isn't satisfying. Which one are you? Where are you at in this? I haven't made a bad life choice recently, <laughs> so I'm good. Okay, good. No, I. in fact, I fell asleep early last night. I fell asleep putting the girls down and like and woke up in that sweaty stupor when you've got two little heated blankets on either side of you, cuddling into you, sweating on you, and you're sweating back on them. I stumbled into my room, like stripped my clothes off, had to air out for a bit, and then fell asleep again. I can't relate to that even a little, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> So, yeah. I'm just an old man now. Like a, you really I'm just are. a dad. <laughs> That's what mm. it's coming down to. Dude, dads are cool, man. So without further ado, mm-hmm. here's what I want to do. Because we we had talked... <clears throat> oh, frog in my throat. I'm just... I'm crumbling over here. We had talked that we have a guest coming up, a man that I met. <laughs> I met a man recently, Kirk. That's all right. It's good to make a man friend. And his big thing is that... He accomplished a very impressive ultra uh, distance mountain race while living in the greater Milwaukee area. And so we talked about the idea of doing an episode talking about, once again, how do we train for mountains without mountains? How do you train for hills without hills? All of that. And that got me thinking in the old noodle here while my brain was still functioning yesterday. And I thought, I have an idea. What if we take that idea and run with it even more extreme. Because we get those questions from athletes from time to time. For example, I met with a woman today. She's training for the Killington Ultra. 50K is going to have at least 10,000 feet of vert, and she lives in South Florida. Mm -hmm. How do you train for mountains without vert around you? We're taking it a step farther. So the question is, how would you blank without blank? Mm, I like it. That doesn't need to be a surprise to me, though. I thought it would be like a... I didn't want you to do any research. 
I didn't oh. want you to th- get your thoughts together. I wanted this to be live and in the moment. I got an athlete who just got accepted to the Moab 240. He lives in Michigan. Ooh. Jay Fettig, who's okay. had 100 mile success, but that would be an extreme example. He got like a 70. Jay's a monster <laughs> to work with. But that yeah. tests everyone. <laughs> yes, it does. Okay, well, I like that. Okay. I like that idea. Now, do you have a list of blanks and blanks? I do. Wow, I came so up prepared. with six items. This is unheard of for us, Kirk. You maybe. But I promise you that outside of the little bit that your mind naturally wanders, I did not prepare anything to talk about. Mm. I did my very I obviously it's you're gonna have a few thoughts go through your head. It's almost impossible. Like the whole don't think about pink elephants. They're gonna pop in your brain. But I did my best not to give this any amount of real thought. Nobody's ever said that phrase to me okay. or I've never said that phrase, but I understand the sentiment about the pink elephant. Oh, okay. Yeah. Different strokes for different folks. So yeah, here we right. go. I'm gonna I'm gonna ease you into it. Okay. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. First one's War, kind warm of me a up a little We've bit. talked about this a little bit recently. I am. I'm gonna warm you up. I'm gonna uh-huh. preheat the oven here. How would you prepare for an ultra without long runs? And for the sake of this, I'm gonna cap long runs starting at ninety minutes. So you get 80 minutes or less. I think 80 minutes outside of extreme athletes is about the longest a normal athlete can call not just like a regular run. Does it matter the cause? Many people, it would be 60 to 70, but 80. Does it matter the cause or reasoning for the limited range as in injury, time constraints? So it can't be like, hey, go for a three-hour bike ride and then run 90 minutes. That's not what we're going for here. We're talking just running. We're going to say you... Never have more than 80 minutes at your disposal. Okay, got it. Um, Well, uh, that person might run 80 minutes four times a week. Maybe all six or seven, to be honest. If it's an ultra, we're talking, I mean, even a 50K, 31 and a half miles, if they have an 80-minute slot every day, I think, of course, the nuances of each day are going to change. Um. And then I would probably, for the ultra, if we can talk strength work outside of that, there would have to be a component where we're really, really hammering the lower body to increase durability that way. So it would be a combination. How about this? Um, I could just lay it out for you. They're going 80 minutes four times a week. Yeah. Twice a week, they're going 40 minutes of strength, 40 minutes of running. And they're 80 minutes committed six days a week with one day off as a seventh. That's what I would do. What do you okay. think? That's very similar to what I was going to say. What were you going to say? Now you can say it. I was going to say you're probably going to alternate every other day we're doing 80. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we're not far off. I said four days. You Yours said might just be more efficient. I just think the strength and component. Might start with the first day, which might be four. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, and then just two shorter recovery type runs in conjunction with strength and both strength sessions would include some sort of lower body and upper body movement. Probably like day one would be like heavy squat focus and then some upper lifts and day two might be like deadlift, heavy deadlift with some, you know, upper body focus or something like that. If there, if strength training is part of this equation, if we're 80 minutes, no matter what, I wouldn't spend that extra time cross training. I would spend it strength training if I still had to get it all in. Yeah. Do you think it could be done? And I think I'd alternate. Could somebody go as close? Yeah, for sure it can be done. How close to someone's potential do you think you could get with a 80-minute time cap? Oh, at least 90% of the way there. I believe that. But you would have to approach it from a structure standpoint and a speed standpoint. 
You're going to have to be good at running fast. You're going to have to be efficient at it. You're going to have to be good at not breaking down. And you're not going to know about the endurance side of not breaking down. So you're going to have to handle it muscularly, structurally. I will be doing early on in the first half to two thirds of this build. Two of my 80 minute sessions will be muscular endurance sessions running mixed with let's say lunging or sled or deadlift or squatting or step ups or whatever. And then as we got closer, one of those would become another 80 minute run and the other would remain as muscular endurance right up until race week. Yeah. I like that. The other thing is you may just need to cook a little hot on like, let's say your last 80 minute run of the week or every Tuesday, you might just need to kind of burn and spend as much time in threshold. So you're actually pretty miserable. And then at least when race day comes the perceived effort, the amount of force being generated is so much less that you can obviously endure that longer. So there would be probably some really long, sucky workouts in those 80 minutes, the ones that you might not look forward to, yes. right? Like, why am I doing 60 minutes of quality today? Well, we got to figure out how to create damage somehow. And this is how we're going to do it. Three by 20 minutes with three minute jog recovery or something, right? Like long stuff that really you kind of dread. I think that would be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, you would have to get, maximize your 80 minutes. And I think one of those we've talked about that what is the volume multiplier or amplifier? It's compromise running. Yeah. Even if you're not training for OCR, if you have to be on feet for three to six hours, you have to get your body to as close to that level of fatigue in 80 minutes as possible. And that might mean like you have to go deadlift 20 reps into one mile. Yeah. Deadlift, 20 reps, one mile. So every step of that mile is going to be like four miles into a run, something like that. And it doesn't have to be deadlift, but I would use compromise running extensively in this. The The cheater answer is I'm going to double. You didn't say anything about you don't have two 80-minute time slots. Uh. If you could double, double your little heart out. But avoiding the che- the cheater answer is compromise running, frequent 80-minute muscular endurance, and you're going to have to approach it from a speed side, too. Yeah, you are. Because that's the only way you can make up for a uh, lack of duration is over speed training for your race. Yes. I mean, really. And I would say adding to that, um, twice a week, probably, unfortunately, you'd be like a hamster on the hill wheel, so to speak, where, well, we can create damage by going downhill hard. Yep. And if that's part of the equation, right, then it's like, hey, your local ski hill here in the Milwaukee metro area on Wednesdays and on Saturdays, your 80 minutes is literally easy to moderate up, bomb down. Easy, like just any way you can basically create more damage in the time allotment. And so that would probably be a component I would imagine too, which we didn't really talk about the terrain type, but I would, ha- I would have to push people that way. Yeah. Hmm, it's a good question. You would have to, and you'd have to be really intentional with how you got eccentric loading in the in the weight room or in your basement or wherever because there's just no way around the fact that your legs are going to be trashed in the second half so you got to make so that they can handle that trashing i'm trying to like now my now see now the pink elephant situation or whatever i'm beyond that whatever next color elephant there is i'm thinking about the next color elephant if that's a line of thinking i'm wondering i'm not a fan of weight vest and ruck running necessarily i don't think i, I don't Ooh, go I like to where it. we're going I don't go to it like intuitively, nor do I think, I think it's overused for some people, like for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I'm starting to think like you might be putting on a 15 pound hyper vest and going for your 80 minute long run on the hill. Yeah. You're risking some things. Don't get me wrong. And mechanically you're going to change. But now, like if we had to be as creative as possible and say, we're getting there, 
I think I would incorporate that as well. I don't know how exactly I'd have to think about it, but there would be a place for that then. Is an 80-minute run with a 10 or 15-pound vest worth a two-hour run body weight damage-wise? Probably more. So what do you think about that, the weight yeah, vest? I really like it. Now, it's a little dangerous. I, I, I've, I've played with that. Like I use that prepping for Tennessee Mile, but I only use it uphill on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. Because I was coming post-surgery. I didn't trust it at all after that. But I was limited on volume. That's an amplifier. Every step is not worth a one step. That's worth a step and a, a third, maybe. I don't know mm-hmm. how to quantify that. But I like it. I like the idea of that. But it's dangerous. Yeah. You'd have to be real cautious at first. Let's let them use it one day a week and cap it at 40 minutes. And then the next... And then yeah. if you had like 16 to 24 weeks and you had some time to work into it, where then maybe you could be going under that load like twice a week or something. But I feel like that would be a workaround as well. I'd probably get... If you wanted to optimize it, I think I'd get deep into the weeds on all the ancillary pieces to ultra running the stuff that we kind of like push to the side and look down on sometimes i think i'd add weight vest running i think i'd add barefoot running i think i'd do so much of that type stuff to try i'd I'd get the standing desk and stand barefoot in front of it or on like a a mini bosu ball as often as possible or a rocker board i think i'd try to stress everything as often Mm -hmm. as possible just to make up for that lack of two to four hour runs yeah, I like that. I, I guess if if you were that committed, maybe you'd find more than 80 minutes a day. But I do agree with your line of thinking. I like the idea, like minimalist shoes or at least low stack height. So you create a mm-hmm. lot of damage, right? So you're running and it's like I'm running in these six ounce shoes that like aren't very good for me, but they're damaging. And then on race day, you put on your pillows that you're also comfortable with and it staves damage off even further. Like, yeah, yeah there's there's a lot. You're right. There's a lot of rabbit holes we could dive into. Do you think, would you ever risk and These like, are the type of people who are committed. Go ahead. These are the type of co- people who are committed enough to do all these crazy things, but schedule limited. They have kids activities every night and can't, can't help it. They, they're on call at work and can never leave their desk for longer than 80 minutes. They're just, they're landlocked. They can't get away from their schedule, but they're willing to do anything and everything to get the job done. It would be fun if we could like get some people to, we could have like our own test subjects or guinea pigs and mm-hmm. see how close we can get or some sort of, it would just be really like in theory, this is all fun to talk about, but I would really actually like, is there somebody out there? Is this, how did they go? I would be so curious or maybe Bracken, you want to volunteer yourself to take the 80 minute time cap approach and go run Tennessee mile in December again, or whenever it is. Wouldn't that be fun? Oof. It could be fun right up until the moment that you got it wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's not uh-huh. fun anymore. Uh-huh. That's the other cheater answer. Find a race every six to eight weeks that you can scramble the cover for mm-hmm. and force it into your schedule. That might be the ticket, truthfully. But, I mean, if 80 minutes is 80 minutes, then unless you're running a decently right. quick half marathon, what else are you going to find? Yeah. Okay. I like that one. Okay. Anything else you want to add? Anything else that we didn't think of? I'm sure there's more. It's the kind of thing that I think that the longer we talked about it, the more creative we would get. This would be like a, a group project where you sit around like, I'm not sure what to do. And three hours later, you, you're not sure where to even start anymore because there's so many opportunities. This would be the no stone left unturned approach. How many things could we possibly enter into the equation? Well, let's ask one more question then. Uh, or I'm curious as to your answer. What do you think the furthest, like if that is the approach, like do you think like 
you're barely scraping by for a 50k or could you go like hey i'm gonna run 100k 100 mile like is there any end in sight then of a fool's errand if that were the case 80 minutes no 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 and i've said this before and i still haven't been convinced otherwise i'm still open to being convinced otherwise but i think that 50k through maybe 50 mile it would be harder than a 100 miler or 200 miler because you could make it a lifestyle thing. I'm going to stand all day long at work barefoot and do all my little stabilizing stuff. I can't work out, but I'm going to do that. That'll be better for a 200 miler than it will be for a 50K. Mm-hmm. Racing a 50K from a running standpoint is more demanding than walking for 200 miles. Racing versus completion. The cardiovascular demand doesn't get like dramatically different so i mean i'm sure there's pushback somewhere but i still think racing 50k is harder than completing 50 miles different hard obviously yeah 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 uh from an output standpoint i think if you're able to race 31 and a half miles um versus completion yeah i agree with you there haven't done it would like to i'd be more nervous to try to race all the way through a 50k than to complete a 50 mile if I hadn't done anything longer than 80 minutes. Yeah. How about if you were to race a 50 mile? Probably equally bad, but the yeah. the, the blow up's longer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You just look pathetic for more miles. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we got we got almost 15 minutes out of that. Woo. All right. So I, I warmed you up. I wet your appetite for this kind of thing. Now let's just get a little crazy. Mm. We're training to PR a 5K without interval work. Why don't you define interval work first? Uh, Taking work and then resting and then repeating. Prescribed work, prescribed rest, repeating. It all must be continuous runs. No stopping at any point in your training. No interval work whatsoever. That includes strides. That includes pickups, accelerations, whatever you want to call them. That includes speed sprinkles. You're going to try to PR a 5K without doing one interval or rep-based workout. Uh, so it's like you couldn't be like quarter mile hard, quarter mile easy, That would, but you're never stopping. You go from a warm-up right into it and cool down. Like that would be considered intervals, right, to you? Like where is the line drawn? How about drawn? this? We can never go slower than easy run pace. Okay, perfect. I can work with that. I can yes. work with that. Um, well, really, then, I mean, there's the cheater <laughs> another good question i think we should almost eliminate that too and say there's no speed like there's really no i know i'm okay starting there actually okay and here's why if you're never let's say for you and i we can never run slower than let's call it what eight minute pace yeah let's say i mean seven theoretically yeah let's say eight sure sure faster you get the harder this is going to (laughs) get that is still fast enough that you don't want to do race pace or faster work well, see, here's the You're not going to want to run five-minute pace, eight-minute, unless you're doing like 100 to 200 meters at a time. It depends how fit you are. Actually, this question hinges on how fit you really are. I really believe okay. that. So it's a really good question because here's an example. I Two weeks out from when I was attempting to PR in a 5K in, in August, I mean, I did a quarter mile on 100 meters off. I went full lap on quarter, you know, 100 meters off, and my off was – at seven minute pace, but it was only a hundred meters, but it was a hero workout, right? I went and ran fifteen fifty eight in the five K in the middle of the workout with the recoveries, for example. So it can be done. And I considered that a sharpening workout. It was more of a 
threshold suck fest, even VO2 max for the whole time. But point being is I do, and I don't know where you stand on this, but I do more of that than anything. Do I rarely rest? All my recoveries are jog recoveries. At slowest, I take my recovery run pace and let me recover at that pacing. So you can do mile repeats with three minute jog recovery at, for me, it'd be like seven minute pace or 7.30 pace. So I think you can actually play a little bit there. And if you really needed to rip, you would just extend your recovery jog for longer duration in between the spicy sessions. So you could run 800 meter repeats at VO2 max. Like I'm going to rip, but then I'm literally going to run 800 meters at recovery pacing in between. So you may be able to sneak around it with your with this level of restriction. At least I would, I think. And a lot of float style workouts in that. I'm okay allowing that because in my mind... First of all, <clears throat> 5K pace into easy run pace, even for 800 meters, would be very difficult to do multiple reps. Very. Yep. So like for you, if you were going to run 450 pace for your 800s, so you're running 225 into seven-minute pace, even if you took long enough at seven-minute pace to recover, the workout would become arduous either way because the first minute at seven minute pace is going to suck after a 225 i do that's how i do it i almost have to press to keep it to be honest and then you settle in yeah, a minute terrible. or two in yep but the longer the workout goes on the longer you're going to have to stay at seven minute pace to recover enough to run 450 but now it's an a, a duration equation too how many reps could you get in and i agree with you the more fit you are the more efficient you are at seven minute pace and the quicker you're going to bring your heart rate down. But that is going to be such a miserable workout that it's its own self-limiter in this little experiment here. To be honest, my my thoughts never went to those workouts. Well, where did your thoughts Because go? they sound so terrible to me that I didn't even, <laughs> didn't even entertain it. But the 5K is miserable, so you could call it race-specific. So, you know, it's just going to do similar feeling. There's no fault to that logic. I don't know how often I could do that. Mm-hmm. All right, tell me yours. Well, my thought was that you would do more in and out work during runs, mm-hmm. 60-minute run, 200-meter pickups throughout the run just for the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Say taking an average person, go out, run 9- to 10-minute pace for an hour every once a mile, once every three-quarters of a mile, run 20 to 30 seconds faster than goal pace just to get the mechanics down, and then I would push that threshold up from below. I would do as many threshold and sub-threshold tempo runs as I could throughout, and then I would time trial like crazy. I would do some sort of time trial probably like every 7 to 12 days, even if it was a 400-meter time trial one day, one week, and then the next week a 1,000, and then next mm-hmm. week a 400. Like that's your workout. But I would, I would touch it from almost a polarized standpoint. I think you're – living in the middle where you're just going to live in the suck of it. And I would do Mm. a ton of threshold work and then some specific, really spicy time trials. I like the time trial idea and threshold. I guess I, I shouldn't assume anything, but that was assumed as like a staple each week, you know, a threshold session. What I was talking about. You're going to have to. Yeah. You're going to have to. Um, so you're totally right. I, it's like, you know, one of the workouts I prescribe, which is a feel-good workout, and I do it. In fact, when this calf chills on me, I'll probably do it. Just quarter mile on, quarter mile off. You know, quarter mile on, you can touch faster than 5K pace, and the quarter the work-to-rest ratio is good. And, you, and so I can hit 5K pace, 
or even a titch faster and then recover at the slowest possible allowed recovery, let's say 730 pace, and I can still rip, right? So like there's there's very structured ways around it. And then there's like what you're talking about. Like you could go for a run and like, hey, I'm going to run. And at the, the last quarter mile of every mile, I'm running faster than 5K pace. Then I go right back to recovery for three quarters and then rip again. Like I think you're right with touching this pay. You got to touch the, the efficiency piece. That's going to be priority number two after the threshold work, I think. Yeah. And I think I would do a lot of cutdowns, but I'd extend the final rep. Rather than stopping at threshold, I might finish up with a half mile or a mile at race pace if I could. Or run until I can't. They would need extra recovery afterwards in a normal cutdown, but I would find my way to the well Mm -hmm. more often. What if we got rid of any sort of... I mean, I think I know our answer, but you're not allowed to run fast as you plan on racing. Like, you're not allowed to touch that speed at all. Not even within 30 seconds a mile of your goal race pace. You're not allowed to run 30 seconds a mile or closer to your goal. So let's say you want to run six-minute pace. You can never touch faster than 6.30 pace in training. Like, okay, first of all, it's a silly scenario, but... Unless someone has an impingement. Yeah. Like someone there, when they start running like that, their calves or their Achilles or their their metatarsals, something happens at that pace and they just have one bullet and they're going to fire it on race day. Yeah. I'm sure there's somebody listening out there that has an issue like that. Um, I mean, I, I send you right to the Hills, right? Cause that's a, that's the cheater answer is, uh, yeah, I like you that. Can, you can go do Hill repeats and that will give you everything you need. You can set the treadmill to 6%, but run at goal 5k pace. And that's going to feel, or run 30 seconds slower than goal 5k pace and that's going to feel as harder harder so the workaround would be would be vert in my opinion and then just a ton a ton of threshold and cut downs just like you said in and out intervals that get as close as you can with to that 30 second plus mark but um yeah that's where i would start any other ideas yeah yeah i mean that that's probably it you just it's it's a volume you go back to that ingobertson comment that you love which is the goal in training is to run as fast as possible as often as possible and you just balance that out. Am I running crazy fast once a week? Am I running moderately fast three times a week? Or am I running decently fast six times a week? That that would be how I would get. I would get to that 30 seconds slower than 5K and sit between that and 60 seconds slower as many times as I could in a week in different capacities. But the no interval rule gets in the way of that. But it would just be a lot of threshold runs and cutdowns. And then it takes time trials out of my equation, though, if I can't go faster. Long, long ass time trials. You could go do a long one. <laughs> and that's it, right? If you're running six-minute pace for a 5K, that is taking all you have in you that final mile. Or you go out and run a 12-mile run, and you're holding seven-minute miles an hour 20 in, that's recruiting in the same way. It's not the same speed, but you're still making yourself dig hard when you're really depleted, and that would carry over. Yeah, I agree. 30 seconds doesn't seem like a big deal, but it also seems like a really giant deal, like a 30 second difference in training. Um, mm-hmm. But extending it out, like for example, when I was hoping to run, let's say 449 pace for the 5K, 448, whatever it comes out to. In that realm, I did go do twice the distance, a six mile tempo at five. I remember I averaged 529 pace for that. That's still 40 seconds a mile slower, yet felt so productive. Like that worked me. And those back two miles, I was like, like if somebody then said a week later, like, hey, now you got to go out and run three miles and only take like 30 seconds a mile off. You'd be like, well, I just grinded for six. Like, I know it was slower, but like mentally I would be, 
I would be able to handle the, the thought of that just because of the mm-hmm. durability piece, right? You know what I mean? Like mentally, it seems approachable. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two questions for you. I'm going to ask you the question you asked me. In the original ruling, which is no intervals, you can never run slower than your average easy run pace. How? But you can run faster, as fast as you want to run. You just can't do intervals. How close to your maximum 5K potential could you get? Wait, you, with in this scenario, without the structured intervals? Or the original what? scenario I gave you, yeah. No intervals, no slower than easy pace, but there's no upper limit. You can run as fast as you want, but you just can't take a rest and do it again. How close to your ceiling could you get? I don't know if it'd make a difference for me. I think I might be five yeah. seconds apart. Not even. I think because threshold is key, state power is key. Even if you're forced to run faster in your recoveries, like that is going to produce physiologically a body that should be able to sustain a high rate of work. And even if you're limiting factors, your turnover and efficiency, sometimes I just, I, for me, that's the stuff that got me here. Like that's, what's made me better is the stuff where I'm not going slower than recovery effort on my, so like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I would be any worse off. Maybe the last 10 seconds, maybe 10. Should I say 10 seconds? Cause I can't go rip some quarters and eights, 10, 10 seconds. What about you? Yeah. What do you think? Well, I said 90% of the way there based off 80 minute time run time limit cap for an ultra. I'm bumping up to at least 95, mm-hmm. maybe on a long enough scale, 98%. I think the longer the time I have to work with, the closer to my ceiling I get. If I have six weeks, I'm screwed. If I have six years, it's maybe 98% of the way there. If I have six months, eight months, I'm going to say 95 because you can race as much as you want throughout this. So I think with that ruling, I could get really close if I had enough time. That's the question. How much time would you have? Mm-hmm. But you could come up with any intervals. So then, not well, I mean, active rest style. Like if you went out and ran 200 meters faster than race pace with a 600-meter jog, in quotes, recovery, you would be able to still mm-hmm. rip your twos and hit what you need to hit like mechanically. Right. So I think there's workarounds. It would look a little goofy, but there's workarounds. Yeah. And you would get really good at knowing your line past your line. Like there's race pace. That's my line. We can go and run much faster than 5k race pace in training, but where's the next line? You would get really well acquainted with how much faster can I go while still being able to recover Mm-hmm. at seven minute pace or 10 minute pace whatever your easy is you would get really good at that you'd become a master of that at a strange type of pacing part of me honestly like when you talk about having somebody to experiment with like i would be a happy candidate to say i'm never recovering slower than i'm never stop resting i would be i would sacrifice myself for this experiment because i believe in that style for me over any other style if i was racing a mile very different yes but i'm not so that's a great question, actually. Uh, I think 5K might be the lowest distance you can. We get are away the with candidates it. for this. We are, because tell them why. Fast, fast twitch background. Mm. This only works on our weaknesses by doing this. It removes the temptation to go rip, and instead it makes you steady, fast, strong, which is what we would always need. And I think I could run a mile off this, and I know I could run a mile off this. Hmm. Explain. You think that gap could be just as tight? Oh, because I've done versions of that. Nah, I don't know. 
I don't know about that. But I gave that example of back in the day, every year in college, I opened up between 420 and 426, that first indoor mile of the season. And we've been doing interval work, and then I cut down to whatever. And while training for my first 50K, I ran 425 without doing an ounce of speed work. Yeah. Without doing intervals. The only interval work I did was OCR 400s, and that was after the mile. So I'd only done long tempos and long cutdowns and hill workouts. So I do believe that I personally can run a mile off that, but where would the ceiling be? I know it got me to preseason strength, but where where would I run into that pure efficiency and speed you need to peak your mile? That's, there'd probably be a, drastic, uh, a more drastic difference between what I'd open at and what I'd finish at in a 5K off this than, than a mile. A mile I might not improve a ton throughout the season, unless I raced a bunch. I'm trying to do some math on my calculator. It's not working. You know when you try to do like running math on a calculator, but the run the calculator's on a hundred point system and running math on a sixty point system, yeah. and it gets it can get confusing. I can't. I don't have the focus right now to do it. But what I want to do is poke holes in your percentage offerings. Like somebody thinks like, oh, I could get like ninety five percent of the way to my five k potential. Well, that's all well and good, but how many? Let's say you're a <laughs> twenty minute five ker, right? Well, you're losing five seconds. Mm-hmm. Every, like it ends up being like, okay, well, that's forty-five seconds slower over a twenty-minute 5K. That suddenly feels substantial. Like if you're at like ninety-five percent, yeah. And well, in school, I can't it's verify a, that math. I'm, I'm using that as an example. I'm not using that as fact. <laughs> but I'm saying ninety-five percent still sounds like an A, as if you're looking at the grading system. But ninety-five percent of potential is actually way off. Like out of every hundred seconds, if you lost five, well, let's see. Let's take that example. You said a 25 or a 20 minute 5K, right? 20 minute 5K. Basically, if you're using 100% as a 100 point system, you're losing five seconds every 100. Well, that's 1,200 seconds. seconds. Okay. And you're losing 1,200 seconds. Okay. 60 seconds difference from 95 to 100%. Okay. So you're losing a minute. So you're like, oh, that sounds great. I can get 95% of the way there. But is that really the right way to explain it? Because I think you'd get closer than 95. Mm. I think a minute sounds like so much time, doesn't it? It's, I think it's just crazy how good we are at math, specifically me. I think that's really the underlying theme. I hope you're wrong in somebody. I took 10% of 1,200, like, I mean, and then cut that in half for five, like, is nobody's business. But if you're losing five seconds every 100, that adds up. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's a different, that's a totally different ballgame. All right, so final question on this. Which one, if you had to choose one for the rest of your life, and the purpose of your life was to run the fastest 5K possible? What a life. My original scenario where the limit is your lower end. You can't. You personally can't run faster than your easy pace. So for you, let's call it 7.30. Or would you do the one where you can't run faster than race pace ever? Can't run within 30 seconds of race pace ever, but you can do whatever workouts you want. You can do intervals, sure. Rest all you want, but you can't get within 30 seconds per mile of goal 5K pace. Uh, first, Which one are you choosing? First one, 1,000 times over. For sure. 1,000. One million times over. One thousand. I would have to be on drugs and hallucinating to choose the second option. That's how much better I think the first option. What if I made one tweak? Okay. On either plan, you can race as often as you want, any distance, any terrain. I, it, I doesn't matter to me because just because the how I train and I find success now. You would. Yeah. Because yeah, let's say okay. My again, we're talking about our times too much, but we're not bragging about it. It's to. 
I'm saying my thing, what it looks like so that you can think about your paces and just what is the correlation? My 5k PR at this point in time is 502 per mile. Okay. If I could never run faster than 532 pace in training, I could be a monster, absolute monster, especially if I were allowed to race, because then I would find miles and 5k's to jump into once a month or every other week just to get that. But 532 pace, that is fast enough that I am fine. What I would run into is if long-term, are we allowed to keep adjusting it based on fitness? Of course. Yeah. Because eventually my threshold will be faster than 532 and then I'm not getting what I want out of it. But then I could play the game of, all right, I can't run faster than 532 pace still, but I'm going to do everything compromised for a while. I'm going to do 50 walking lunges and run 532 pace. You know, your uphill example. So if I were allowed to race, I might consider, I might take that option. But in my situation, I couldn't race. Is that what you're saying? Originally we said no. And I said, what if I could just change one thing and that is I'm allowed to race. Now I would probably be as okay with either one. Because what I love is threshold intervals. So I get intervals back and I still get to race. Yeah, I just don't need to stand around and recover anymore. Like I really like the active recovery. I think it's, I mean, I'll do it occasionally, but yeah, I think I'm just, it's my own personal bias. But I get it. You, but, but see, you're still, your governor's still on. Even if you get your rest, you do threshold intervals with 60 seconds rest. Like you're still stuck. I feel like it would still be governing a little bit. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. What about the opposite? Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm capping you. Your longest run can be your goal 5K time. Your longest run. Okay. So if my goal (laughs) time is 15 minutes, which it is, 15 flat, I cannot run longer than 15 minutes at a time in one day. Ever. Accumulated or workout start to stop? Steady. I can't run 15 minutes, more than 15 minutes at a time. Okay. So I can never okay. exceed without taking a break or stopping. So could I do three by 15 minutes? No, this is what I'm getting at. So the, the workout time is 15 minutes. <laughs> not, right. not that, not that either. Your steady runs. Let's call it this. Your <laughs> okay, steady... so you say everything you need to say. I'll shut my mouth. Okay, let me just say it. Okay. Your recovery <laughs> runs, your long runs, anything is capped at 15 minutes. Your non-glorious time on foot. Okay. Here's the, here's the specifics. This is where this gets interesting. So if you're just going to go for a run, 15 minutes is it. You're done. On quality days, you can only run. You can run as many as you want, any setup you want, but you have to be at or faster than goal 5K pace for your quality sessions. So it's not like, oh, okay, well, I'll run 15 minutes, but then I'll do a 75-minute threshold interval session. You can only run at or faster than 5K pace. And then your days that you're not doing intervals no, or qualities. That. No, no, no. I'm saying, what would you do? What would your interval setup be? Like, what would you, Oh, like, how would you find a way to make that happen? I will say though, if you gave me these three scenarios in college or high school, I would have chose this one <laughs> without right. second thought. Great. I'll rip, I'll rip intervals four times per week and I'll run 15 minute recovery runs in between all of them. I'm a happy man. That's, that's my, that was my limited mindset. I would have taken it. Uh huh. Isn't that interesting how that changes? And my point being, like, let's say you go run 400 meter repeats. That first repeat that you're slower than goal 5k pace, it's cut off. You're cut off. So sure, you want some stay power work. Mm. You want to do mile repeats. Great. But like, if you can't hang, like it's over after one rep. Like that's all you get. 
or you could do quarter mile, you know, you could do 800s, but maybe you need five minutes rest between them to pull it off to get any sort of volume. It's just like very interesting how you would approach it. That's what I'm getting at. All right. So I would run four quality sessions, three to four quality sessions per week. Mm -hmm. There's no limit to the time. One of them I would probably run like, right. I would run like 50 to 100 by 100. It's a ton of them. I like it. Yep. With short rest. As short rest as I need to be able to complete that, it would just be volume of skill. And there'd be some heart rate benefits to it. I would have one extreme volume day. I'm not exaggerating. 50 to 100 by 100 at 5K pace. And maybe it's walk back or jog back recovery each time, just down and back. Maybe I'm doing it on the football field. Just down 100 meters, walk back or jog back. I would have one in between day where I'm running like twos or fours. Again, high volume. 20 by 400. Eh, maybe not. 20 by 200. 30 by 200. 20, 15 to 20 by 400. Resting as much as I need to to get high volume. And then I would have one workout where I'm running longer than like a minute or two. Where I'd, Some weeks I do 8 by 1,000 with long rest or whatever it's going to be. I would, I would, I would hit that. But I would, I would do the two out of, at least two out of every three. Maybe three out of every four high volume, really short intervals. Because I would need the skill of running. Yeah. A lot of twos and fours. A lot of twos and fours. And then I would offset that with like two by a mile and a half, like every two weeks where I run. If my goal is four, I mean, I'm literally racing to hit and then maybe maybe get up to two miles at goal 5k race pace, breathe, and then finish with quarters. I mean, that's going to be brutal. Running two miles at goal 5k pace is racing. Basically it'd be like, so I'd try to get that extended feel. Anyway, it's kind of a dumb, actually not kind of, it's a super stupid scenario, but it's often how we trained. It's not that dumb though. For example, when I had my torn meniscus, I got to the point, which I'm sure you remember, I couldn't run slow anymore. Because if I wasn't engaging structurally, like throughout my whole leg, core, back, there was too much ground t- contact time and too much just sagging. My knee would just really hurt and it was unstable. But if I ran quick and I was on and off the ground quick because I was stable and engaged, I didn't have pain. And in that scenario, this would work for me. For someone who has the inability to just run monotonously, I think you could do very well off this, honestly. I still wouldn't choose this, but it would be fun for a while. If your easy day was 50 by 100, that's a lot more engaging than just stare at the wall for an hour. Yeah. I'm not going to experiment with that one. I'm not willing to sacrifice, be the sacrificial lamb, but it's just how much, if you, if you had years like a Hobie call who had years of hundred mile weeks, and then he ran less than 30 through his OCR career with a lot of pre-fatigue and compromised running. Right. right. So I think if you had a really good multiple year background, you could get away with this and get there maybe. Um, but if you were newer to it, you'd hit your ceiling so fast. And then the back half of your 5k, you would blow up every time. Probably if you were really shooting, you know, to stretch your PR, I think it would be a tough way to go for a new runner. I wonder though, this is like the Zapotec style training, right? This is crazy long repeats relatively quick many times per week it's been done a guy's run sub 14 off this like this i wonder if you just lengthened it and lengthened and lengthened eventually you're doing 
100 by 200, <laughs> like crazy dumb workouts. If you could get the same benefits of normal training. The problem is you get to the point where you'd have to be a psychopath or a robot to maximize your potential because it would get so repetitive and mundane. And in that scenario, you're not allowed to jog recover, right? Because you can't run slower than goal pace ever on your quality, other than your warm up and cool down, which let's say caps at 10 minutes. All right. Yeah. You got to walk. Yeah. It's just like straight up. There's no float style. But if you did 200 by 100 at 5k (laughs) pace with 100 walk, you'd be some form of a monster. You'd also be there all day. (laughs) I mean, it's not going to check the box in the time efficiency column. That's for sure. That's only 20k of work. Okay. It's only 20K of work, which is huge, but like that's a normal pro workout. 12 miles of work with at least equal recovery when you talk about the walking or more. I mean, you're going to be out there for two and a half hours when it's all said and done. I guess it's a long day. Yeah. This is a this is a dumb conversation, but I still think it's I still think it's interesting. And then you follow, and then you follow that workout up, which takes you two and a half hours with a fifteen minute recovery run the next day, and call it good. Just wild. Uh huh. So your your workout days are your long runs. Okay, so I'm going to pose this to you. Oh, you're getting excited. I can see unlimited interval work. Mm -hmm. You like? Yeah, this this is exciting. You talked yourself into this one. You talked yourself into this one. (laughs) I am. But maybe not for a 5K. Would you rather do that unlimited interval work or the 80-minute time cap to prep for a 100-mile race? I'd rather do what we're talking about right now in this moment, for sure. Yeah. So there's some validation. How wild there. is that? <laughs> we, yeah. we extend the time frame. Go yeah. run 200 by 200. You couldn't at 5K pace. You couldn't. But right. But, but you could, could stretch this into a multi-hour workout. You make a valid argument. If you did 50 meters at 5K pace. Oh, God. Yeah. At a time. You could go for hours if you walked in between. You might be able to go for days, depending on how long you walked in between. But, so, hey, sure, you could. Sure <laughs> True. You could. Point sure is, you, you would could. get long work in. <laughs> All right. I, I don't. This I, is good, I, actionable data. Really is. All we are is skirting the lines of our own rules here. That's all we're doing here is like testing the boundaries of the parameters we already set. But almost every conversation, every, every conversation we've ever had, I've had some sort of takeaway that was interesting for me to think about or work on. And these workouts right here would have a place for a recovering, tapering, or rebuilding athlete. I could see myself using a workout like 20 times 100 or 50 times 100 at a certain time in training. Mm-hmm. It might be the best workout for a certain moment in time, but my blinders would have been on before this. There may be a time where I prescribe 50 by 100 to someone because that's actually appropriate. It's not going to be very often, but someone's going to use one of these workouts and it's going to work. Just remember, you get yanked as soon as you don't hit goal pace or faster. So you better be on those splits, folks. Can't be slow dragging your feet. You got to be out of the, out of the gates firing. I did a teammate who did 50 by 100 one day in a winter. That's a lot. Like 100 on off, probably. At mile pace. Oh. What about, okay, let's change this, this, because now we're riffing. I want to riff about your goal is to run the fastest 5K possible without being able to run ever in training. So you're going to time trial your 5K. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? You're going to do it every four weeks. 
And all you can do is anything in your power but run in between these 5Ks. I'm not saying you're going to reach your best here because you're not. There's an efficiency piece that's just you're going to lose it. What would what cross-training modality would you use? We're going to assume all great principles. You're going to do threshold work, power intervals, all this stuff. But what would you – you can't run. You have to only choose one? What comes to mind? Like where would you start I think is what I'm getting at. Like you're that injured but you have a race in a month and by golly, you're going to do it. That sort of thing. <laughs> Okay, so all running forms like aqua jogging, uh, anything other than zero running. gravity treadmill, they're all off the table. Yes. No, you could aqua jog. You just can't run. You can't go run. You can aqua jog? Yeah, you can do anything but run. Okay. Or let's say you can't hike on the treadmill. Like the treadmill's off limits. And that's not an option. You can't run. All right. I would split it between spin bike, either rollerblading or cross country skiing, and elliptical or zero runner beautiful those would be those would be my three and if i had to slash want to uh incline hiking can't no no i guess you could go on real terrain and incline hike yeah okay yeah i i very if it's winter season cross-country skiing is going to lead the way for me absolutely um we have a machine at the gym it's a leg press machine but you can pull the, the pin and use each leg individually Right. So it's like like the stair mill, for example, but you're on your it's very it's a cheat code. But like I would put hardly any weight on that and I would do like 10 minute reps of cadence, like just to get like full range. I would like weird things like that, but I would rely heavily on my assault bike and cross country skiing. And then I would try to get some sort of foot after foot motion. So like it would have to be either elliptical or this leg press machine I'm thinking about. You put very little weight on it and you would just you would just do to go with full range. And I think I could see, Mm -hmm. I can see that helping. Um, I don't know about you, but I've only biked exclusively. I thought about getting into like semi pro cycling for, I don't know, six months. And we got together with groups and did rides, watch the circuit style racing. They had like whitefish Bay and Shorewood. And I was like into it. We were going for long rides, bike intervals on the road with the groups and all that. Anyways, I decided to kill that. I was like, I'm not, I don't think I like this enough. Um, and so I returned to running the next day and I said, like, I like I've biked a ton. I've spent more time training than ever. And I felt great for about a mile and a half on an eight mile like standard run. And then the piano landed on my back so hard and I might have been the biggest aerobic monster I've ever been, but all I was doing was road biking. And I bear I mean, we me and the other guy I was training with barely made it home. We're like, we feel so pathetic and awful. So what I'm getting at is you'd have to find a way to create the impact portion. So for me, the weight, like the leg press thing back and forth, or some sort of really, I don't know, damaging movement repetitively, I think would be necessary. But it's a silly question as well. But I, yeah. I like the cross-country skiing. And I suppose aqua jogging would have to remain in there in some capacity, pool running, because... It would have to do, you have to get just even the neuromuscular down a little bit to be able to expect yourself to go touch VO2 max for a while. Mm. Cycling complements running well. It doesn't replicate running well. Right. It's an interesting thing. But what it does do is if I had to go and run from the bottom to the top of a mountain, cycling would be my first or second choice. Mm. If you can cycle, you can run up steep hills, but you may suck on the flats. Yeah. We can move on from that one, but do you have some the more? Two either? best uphill runners I've ever met from other sports are cross country skiers and cyclists. They just have crazy uphill engines. The problem is, is when they go down their first downhill and then they got to run up again, then it's over. But before that, yeah. 
unbelievable. And there's no skill component to going uphill. It's just engine. Mm-hmm. Very little skill. Yeah. Um, do you have more scenarios? Well, we got into the weeds there, Kirk. My bad. What are we at here? An hour? Oh, yeah. That was only number two. All right. The next two, we're going to switch gears and go into the OCR and hybrid world. Okay. Train for a Hyrox without lifting weights. Expand on the parameters. Because, you know, I'm going to ask about sleds. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like structured weight training? Or what does that mean? You may not pick up a kettlebell, a barbell, or a dumbbell outside of farmer's carries or to place it on a sled. So sleds are in play, sandbags are in play. Sandbags are in play, but not for lifting. You may not, I should say this, you may not perform a lifting motion. Any classic lift, no squatting, no lifting, no pressing, no curling. You may use weights to work on the motion of the action, to do the actual exercise, but you may not touch a, like there is no barbell ever, no dumbbells. You may pick something up to do a farmer's carry, but you cannot perform lifting. No weightlifting whatsoever. You're not going to the gym. You're not going to the gym to just go move weight. It's always going to have a cardio component. Is what nope. I'm understanding. You're getting it in while working, aerobically. Is what I'm Correct. sort of understanding. That's it. You are not allowed to lift weights in a strength training motion. Um, I would be doing so many lunges with a sandbag on my back, and maybe simultaneously holding a farmer's carry. It would be unbelievable because that's going to cover so many bases within, like I, you know, the realm of strength and strength endurance so my first place my mind goes is like i'm gonna have something on my back and i'm gonna be lunging like a fool second place i go is different versions and styles of sims constantly where you're allowed to touch the modalities it may not be a thousand meter run and then you know x amount of length of whatever but it would just be it would be lots of versions of sims and maybe some more weight vests would be added into their for structural stimulus, I guess. But my mind immediately goes to like, this boy's putting stuff on his back and he's lunging for a lot of his high rock style workouts, like a ton. What about you? Yeah, you would have to go into the functional extreme version of muscular endurance for everything. Death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. In, in, In this scenario, we're not allowed to load up like a 150 pound sandbag and do five single leg lunges, you know, step back lunges or Bulgarian split squat like that. Not even that's allowed. You really can't go past race weight for your sandbag or your kettlebells or anything. So it's just, this is going to be the volume endurance based approach to high rocks. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot of time, but, but arguably it may not take any more net time than if you were lifting three to four times per week. You right. just pour all those hours into long, arduous muscular endurance workouts and specific high rock style circuits, sims, and compromise running. Can the sleds be loaded with race weight and you can use those at your discrepancy too? Yeah, they can be loaded, but they can't be set up to do like lifting sets where I'm doing five explosive steps, rest 30 seconds. Like it all has to be, you can't disguise it as weight training is what I'm saying. Like, I can't do five hard pulls on the sled and then rest two minutes at, like, a 1,000 pounds. That's that's not what we're talking about. You know what, though? If you had to take two different camps, you had to say, all you can do is run and machine. I guess machine. I don't even want to include. All you can do is run and lift weights. You can never do the skill component. Yes. Like, you can't do a high rocks 
tempo or a high rocks broken interval session or a sim. You just have to be like, I run and do machine intervals and stuff and I lift or I can't lift, but I can do the function as much function. I think you'd perform better with the function. Ultimately, if you had to just pick I agree, one, hundred percent. I think I think yeah. that's a better scenario than the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. And Especially, I honestly, I truly mean this. If you had unlimited time and energy to train only functional in cardio, or vice versa, only running and lifting, I. And, and and you could do sims and things like that, but your focus was on a holistic training program versus I'm just going all in on muscular endurance and nothing else but running the machines. I can't say for sure, because we don't have a long enough snapshot of the sport yet, that you would come out at a significant disadvantage. The difficulty would be scaling it training block over training block over training block, because eventually all you can do is try to add weight to your high volume reps or try to add more reps. You would run into a, it would take a long time to get good, but then you'd run into a ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you could pull it off. But you're right. You'd be more, you'd be better off doing this than only lifting. I think so. I think so. What do you think, speaking of running in high rocks, um, maybe you guys have already discussed this on race brain or I'm sure RMR has, but uh, long run necessary for a high rocks. How long should you be going? To compete your best in a high rocks. I can't give an answer on that because I can't be sure about it. But I think if you don't have at least a 70 to 80 minute run in your program, you're leaving something on the table. Yeah. I think you need to be able to run longer than the race for high rocks at a bare minimum. Yeah, I agree. 90 minutes for sure. I also think you need to be able to race longer than the race. I think in a best case scenario, you're in shape to race up to 90 minutes of flat ground running. Might be 75 minutes for a faster athlete. I mean, if the best in the world are going an hour, let's just say an hour. Like if you were to go run a hour road race, you know you'd be going two hours in training. Like without question, you'd be going for two hour long runs. 90 at minimum. So it's like interesting how that works because the mixed modality piece changes it a little bit because there's reprieve from running. But um, I send mine out on two. two hours. From the running can. standpoint... Yeah. Yeah. I think a long run's nice, but the problem is there's diminishing returns in that two hour long run. Mm-hmm. I think you would get the, of high rocks benefits. I think you get the mat most of that by 80 or 90 minutes, but every minute after that might take away from your next lifting set or your next yeah. wall ball set. Like there's just so much to fit in a week for high rocks that I think the two hour run is not necessary for some athletes. Sure. Like if you can handle it, yes. But for me, if I go two hours, the next day I can't lift the same and I'm going to want to lift the same for high rocks. So I think the the real answer is that you should be in as good as possible 10 mile race shape. So what do you need to yeah. do to get there without compromising your high rocks training? If I was in na- or you, if you were in nasty 10 mile shape and really good sled and lunge and wall ball shape and erg shape, that's about best case scenario. I don't yeah. think you need more than that. And I think less than that, you might be leaving something on the table. Yeah. What well, we often say, like with OCR, like take whatever distance the OCR is a 5K, let's say, and double it. Like that's how long you should expect to be training for out on course. The next deviation up. Well, how long is a high rocks? Five miles. Okay. Mm-hmm. Of running, anyways. The other components are a little bit subjective, yep. but they add up. And so what do you, you train for? Like a, you'd be ready for 10, right? Same deal. So I think that's a fair, fair assessment. That's logical. Mm-hmm. Any more to add to that? So lunging, yes. I would do so much lunging. I would do 
as much sled work as was sustainable. That's one of those things that it's really easy to uh, underdo it in training because it's just not as fun or convenient and you have to load the sled, unload the sled. It's just, it takes a lot, but it's also really easy to overdo it. It's really easy to overextend your rear chain on that because it's not used to that exact, it's the same angle almost every time. There's really only two styles of form you can use on it. You're going to use one or the other. The stress is going to be the same on every step. It's easy to overdo that. So I would, as much sled as I could safely maintain, as many lunges as possible. And I think you'd have to become a monster on the ergs. Yeah. A lot of Amber focus sessions jumps. on those. <laughs> so all of it. Yeah. You're going to become a monster everywhere, basically. Yeah, ever. Yeah. Could you, like, take a sandbag and do, like, 100 air squat or not air, 100 sandbag squats, like, as long as you that progressed into something or out of something? Like, could you work around it that way? You'd be cool with that? Yeah, I'd be fine with that. I'm just more picturing, like, a power rack sitting there with a barbell and weights or a huge rack of dumbbells and a bench. Like, those type of things are out of the equation. Can I deadlift my sled? <laughs> yes, Greg. I'd be deadlifting my sled. I mean, it'd be at an angle. I'd lift the front end up. Or... Looking back, mm-hmm. that's probably how we should have been training for the Yokohama tire. <laughs> right. Right. Learn how to deadlift your sled from every angle of the sled. And you'll be just And fine. when you can do that, you're ready. Coat it with olive oil just to make sure it's applicable <laughs> to race day. Uh, oh, the Yokohama tire. The good old five days. Five years too late. Who knew the Yokohama tire would now be considered like the good old days? Like to me, it is like that's done and gone. Those are, it's all, you know, the puzzle pieces fit right where they belong now at every race. It's just terrible. Do you know that because, not because, in spite of tearing my calf and dropping out of that Jacksonville race, I've never failed a tire. Really? I failed. Yeah. But that was the race right. where everyone, <laughs> except for two people, failed the tire. Yeah, I failed it there, and then I failed it in Chicago, the muddy year, where everybody failed it, but VJ with his towel, Same thing, right? I believe. Maybe Kent got it, too, but yeah. yeah. Um, okay, what's the next one? Or are we? do we have more to dissect there? I'm happy with that. Okay. All right. Similar but different. You have to train for the world championships, and I don't care which venue, what company, of OCR with no obstacle practice. This is far more common. I think Grayson Kilgore, is he the guy who is trying to to never use a gym, get as good as he can at High Rocks with never joining a gym? I don't know. I think that was him. He got pretty good. But I also think he's recently uh, changed his mindset on that. But I think, well, he wasn't he doing DECA, anyway. though, not High Rocks, but I could. No, he, High Rocks specifically, he wanted to prove that you could be elite okay. at that without ever lifting or going to a gym, mm. whatever it was. I don't know his exact parameters, but he made some statements about that. But OCR, maximize your OCR ability, compete at a world championship without ever touching an obstacle in training. How do I do that? Are you saying what venue, what venue and distance would I, would I choose? No, no. How do you, how do you prepare for that? And, and, and we can't do cheater things like, uh, well, I'm, I'm just jumping over the fences at the baseball field. That's not an obstacle. Like, none of that. Mm-hmm. Your parameters are a normal home gym. No hanging apparatuses from the, from the ceiling. Pull-up bars, fair game. Do whatever you want with weights, kettlebells, med ball. A normal home gym, but no additional obstacle grips or mm-hmm. building your own. How do you I train think, for that? And I, how close to your ceiling can you get? I think most pros 
train them. I think the majority of the people who take top 10 at a U.S. National Series train that way. They do their gym work, they do their run work, and sometimes they do compromise quality sessions. Not obstacle-based, of course. Um, that's how I did my entire career. Mm-hmm. And in the gym, it would be grip finishers on everything, um, like dumbbell pinch grip holds and chin-up lock-off holds and a lot of bar work and a lot of farmer's holds and a lot of pinch grip on bumper plates and whatever else. And then pull-ups were the staple constantly just on the bar doing stuff. You can get quite a, you know, as long as, see, there's some people who are like, they move naturally in those environments, right? They just, their body knows they get there and it's not really Mm -hmm. a big deal. Um, And then there's those who don't. I think you do a couple races, you're going to get your skill work in that way. So I would race quite a bit early if that's you and you're not familiar, but I think it can get done. I don't think I touched an obstacle my last year of OCR when I was 11th at Worlds, I don't think I touch an obstacle other than the races the entire year. I didn't go to the ninja gym. I didn't go to a rock climbing gym. I literally did bar work and farmer's holds and pinch grip stuff um, and carry work, of course. In my, but in carry work in itself can get your grip going. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessary at all. So I think you can get, especially in longer races like a beast, I don't think it makes any difference. A sh- short, fast, flat sprint transitions might start to matter a little more well, it will and then maybe you'd lose some fractions of percentages or percentages but that's what i think you didn't you train that way a long, a long time too didn't you all the way through yeah all the way through yeah <clears throat> uh i think it can get you 100 percent of the way of the physicality necessary to hit your ceiling the one thing it can't hit and i was reminded of that this past weekend mm-hmm. is i was able to complete everything but i was not fast or efficient at flowing through rigs and the rigs have gotten more complex since you and i were super serious about ocr to the point like when i mean dedicating our life to following the series in the world championships every year Mm -hmm. the obstacle level has changed and now when you watch these races people are taking their same four five six seconds on obstacles by flying through them ape swinging flowing through but they all can run so well that you're not taking it back and those are adding up. You see people work an entire climb to lose it on a twister. And so that's that's the difference that that flow through there. And I agree with you. It scales. At a beast different distance, unless you're evenly matched with someone everywhere else, it's probably not going to be the difference maker. Mm-hmm. But on technical obstacles, like if you went to a savage race right now and did what I do and stay at 90 the whole way through, I don't think you can win. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, you know your plug for, well, I just race a lot. If you can't do any of they go race a lot, you would figure it out. Race a lot. Race a lot. That's your exposure. Three races in, you'd start to realize you'd get a good flow of things, and then you'd probably be okay. This is the opposite of high rocks or hybrid, where you can learn it up front and put it aside and just stay in touch with it on racing. If you and I went to a ninja gym and spent one weekend maybe two weekends just learning to ape swing and flow through obstacles we'd be fine for a long time we may not be vj or kempson or people like that but we would mitigate the damage and then we'd be okay we're in high rocks you can't just put in a strength block and then be fine for the rest of the year so it'd be nice it depended it would depend on your race i think you could go to ocr worlds and probably do fine in the 15k and you would struggle in the 3k not you you as us as an entity i think you're leaving fractions of percentages either way like even in a long beast like 
you might have finished seven seconds faster if you did the obstacle work, which is doesn't seem like much, but maybe it's the difference between sixth and seventh place for you or something. Like I still think either way you want, if you can, great. And if you can transition and do those things while running at race effort, great. Um, but I don't know. I don't even know. Like you look at, I mean, Atkins won the national series how many years in a row? I don't know if he goes on obstacles at all. He climbs and he does some overhead strength work and he runs, right? And yet he was one of yeah. the best. I don't, you know, but yeah, and, on the opposite, and on the opposite end, you have VJ Jones who had an obstacle course built in his backyard and touched the stuff multiple times a week. It shows. <laughs> but anyways, I think you could figure that out it does. regardless. I think what it matters for is getting away from people or reattaching to people. If you start to get dropped and you can just swing your way right back into it, there is an energy and a momentum shift that occurs that you cannot train. It's just yours. It's free. It's like getting a mushroom during Mario Kart. It's really useful. Or you're locked into a battle with someone and you can't disengage. Putting six seconds on them on an obstacle sometimes is just the straw that breaks the camel's back. And it's not fitness. And so it's worth doing if your goal is optimizing your racing. But... You can get to the point where you can survive any obstacle you'll ever face in the gym. Yep. Um, and I don't think I'll ever be accused of being a rig specialist or a grip specialist. But this weekend, even though it wasn't the hardest race ever, it was a difficult, demanding race, and I got through the rigs. It lost me the race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is also true. It lost me the race, but I survived it. So it depends what your goal is. Mm -hmm. I guess I did want to pose... Mm. No, we'll, we'll, we'll go on with the next one, if that's cool. No, go ahead, because the next two aren't that exciting. Well, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's a discussion to be had about Jacksonville coming up, the first U.S. National Series race in, any, in the Spartan Series. And there's yeah, let's do that. Nuance is worth chatting out there is sort of what I'm wondering as far as like either-or scenarios. I think there are. I think that this is the right opportunity to talk about how can you get ready for Jacksonville, since that's going to be the most important race of many people's series for the year because it's only three three races in the series. And if you don't do well at the first one, which is the least complicated one, there's no mountains, there's no altitude. Weather should be in a reliable range. So you should do well here. If you don't, your season might be set up to be screwed. Like I'm not saying you should, but like you want to do well here. So let's, how would you approach this? Let's say you can't get, to, yeah, everyone should get to an, a ninja gym. <laughs> Great. Okay. Here's my scenario. Got it. I have my scenario. You're allowed to do strength work. You're allowed to do run work and you're allowed to race on, you're allowed to train on race specific terrain, muddy, gross, yucky terrain, which is Jacksonville typically in a nutshell, or you can only run on the treadmill, but you can do obstacle work, compromise sessions. Basically what I'm saying is you can do race terrain and strength, no compromise running sessions or anything. No OCR 400s or whatever. But you get to run in the terrain up to your knees in muck. Or treadmill only, but you can do OCR specific quality sessions, obstacle work, etc. Which one gets you further ahead? Oh, I know I get mocked on race brain for always hedging my bets, but it depends who you are as an athlete. If you're naturally good on terrain, Build your engine and build your obstacles and build your compromise running. But if it doesn't matter how fit you are, you don't translate to the trails well, I think that's the one you got to choose. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's athlete dependent entirely. With that said, me, I'm building it in the gym. I'm going gym too. Yeah. Plus there's a 50% chance or more. It doesn't rain. Some of those swamps are nasty though. It's pretty it, nasty bag. They are, but they don't always use them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to have to say treadmill and, and compromise sessions in gym and yeah. Obstacle work versus the train. Although on the right year. And I don't like saying that. Yeah. On the right year, it could bite you, but we don't know what we're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. All right. If we go back to the year you and I race side by side there for mm-hmm. a while, I would have done just as well, if not better, of just hammering tempo runs in the slop all winter. Right. Because the obstacles were spread out. Once you got through that first thousand meters, the obstacles were spread out. Yeah. The carries made a difference, kind of, but we all just kind of stayed the same. It was, you got done with the carries. You hit the swamp and had to just run for five to 10 minutes at a time. And that was the race. Yeah. Who was the best at holding their pace through there once they were a little tired? So, yeah, if you got the right year there, you there's nothing better to do than go run in the muck. Although that year, um, there was that mist on the metal stuff. And if you weren't doing your grip work or your obstacle work, like people fell off of things there, the background. Like Beater yeah. was failable. I almost slipped off of that stupid thing. Z wall was slippery for no reason. So like, there's always the like asterisks behind everything. So, but either way, <clears throat> yeah, I still take transition work. Transitioning in and out of things, and the way that feels is so powerful. And getting used to how that feels that even on such a clean, smooth surface like a treadmill, going and doing something else, hopping back on, going and doing something else, hopping back on for me is so invaluable. Like, I don't think I'd need the race-specific terrain over the ability to remind my body how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And the answer is that unlike high rocks with the weight room or ultras with the time cap, almost no one has to choose between the two. You might have to choose between treadmill and outdoor if you don't have the other thing, but no one has to choose not to do functional obstacle transitions because you can do it with your body. Yeah. Like simply doing burpees. Or pull-ups. Honestly, as much as I don't like them in general, kipping pull-ups, butterfly pull-ups, are great practice for high-intensity rig work because they they disrupt your breathing and they make it dynamic. But if you could just do dips to replicate getting up over a wall, if you could just do burpees and bear crawl, if you could just do pull-ups, that's probably enough to transition in and out of hard. You're probably set off that, and you can find those things anywhere. Every city almost on earth has a playground. I mean, not on earth, but in first world countries has some sort of playground or you can find a fence or a tree. Like that's, that was always what made OCR special is anyone can train for it anywhere. So luckily we don't have to choose, but you don't have to do crazy things. I mean, I used to do my quality session sessions at the local playground, the park hit something. They had a dip station and the monkey bars and all that and you'd hit a lap and do some crap and hit another lap and do some crap i'd do interval repeats on it and I, that wasn't even a gym and i got me half the way there and i want to race that year doing that so whatever my first year really training my obstacle work consisted of heavy carries heavy drags and then doing pull-ups in side-by-side arms across the soccer goals that's what i did mm-hmm. i don't think i touched a monkey bar that entire year, other than two tough mutters I did and a dirty dog mud run or something like that. I think you mean dirty girl. I don't think I was allowed in the dirty girl. I think it was the dirty dog. 
A wig would fit so nicely on your head. Though, oh, yeah, it'd be sweet. It the hands, they'd be like, hand check, be like, oh, yeah, nope, your hands are the same size as the other participants here. <laughs> Ma'am, you're good. No, you're good. Ma'am, you should. <laughs> if you need help with the grip obstacles, ask someone next to you with bigger hands. <laughs> then you'd be in. Sorry, continue. How do you even get dressed with those things? Can you work a zipper? <laughs> do they make extra, extra small gloves? So if you think back to to uh the first when we were first on leaderboard we had mount majestic was one of the workouts kde bigfoot and duck pond <clears throat> and then i and then yeah that was probably it those are my four obstacle racing workouts that was it i cycled those four for 26 weeks and not one of them <laughs> had any semblance of grip work on an obstacle other than going across soccer goalposts I would make myself crawl up the side of it like a weirdo, and then I would just hand over hand across or side to side, and then I'd do pull-ups and hop off. And that was it. And that got me through the Spartan Race World Championships, the Beast and the Ultra. Granted, it was not to the level it is now, but there are versions of that everyone can find. There are soccer fields everywhere. I miss those days. And I wasn't even in the sport back in the good old days like you were, and I still miss my good old days. And your good old days are like centuries ago. You must really miss the good old days. I'll tell you what. The very first climb in Killington that year, we were running up off trail through the woods up the backside of the mountain with just tape hung every 50 feet through the fog, ducking under things. They had strung barbed wire just like four feet up in the middle of the woods halfway up and watching Cody and Hobie disappear up there. Just like It was like we were on another planet altogether. Just the amount of off-trail and gnarly trail and stuff, that that will forever be seared in my mind. Mm-hmm. The courses are so challenging these days, but the terrain back there was different. Yeah. And we don't find terrain like the old-school terrain. So I don't want to be one of those old grandpas sitting on the porch like, you guys have it so good. But what you're missing out on in current OCR, outside of a few races, is just the wild courses that existed back there in terms of really gnarly challenging terrain mm-hmm. um all right i'm gonna pivot and i'm gonna propose this question for you and i hope that this touches a few dozen of our listeners your goal is to absolutely maximize your potential in the races of your choice okay it doesn't matter it could be a 5k marathon ocr hybrid but you have two choices okay you can only race twice per year that's it or you must race 20 times per year. You only get one or the other. And when I say race, that doesn't mean go out there and sandbag. You're going there to race. It's oh, no I can't dawdle? Tra- I can't nope. use it as a workout? Nope. I mean, you're going to race. You're selling out. You're not holding back. Do you think you race your best off a of two or 20? Two. Every time. Okay. If you had said 10, I might have chose that. Two or 15. Can it be any race of my choosing? Anything, let's say 5K or over. The distance, whether it's OCR or straight running. I think 15 is my turning point. So you choose 15 over two. That's one every roughly three, three and a half weeks. Is that math accurate? Sure. Over three, less than four. Sure. That I would do. That's as high as I would go because I could go find trail races and rip one rough, just, just less than once every four weeks. Sure. But that is the absolute highest I could go. Basically every three weeks. And I'm not comfortable with it. Yeah, you're going to have to race twice in one month, one the next. Twice in one month, one the next. Basic, roughly. Yeah, maybe. I mean, 12, 12 is the first no-brainer for me. I still say two 
all the way down to 10 or 12. And I still yeah. might. And now it's, I'm only willing to entertain the conversation, which is better. I still may actually run, let's say 5K is my goal. I may race better. My PR may be better on the two race season versus the 10 race season still. But now I think I have something yep. to work with. I agree with that. If I had to do it that way, if I had to be a heavy racer, it would be like a, a what, four to eight week race season where I would actually hit like I'm racing a 5K every other weekend and I'm doing it six weeks, eight weeks in a row. And I'm going to blaze out four of them here. Then I'm going to sporadically race and then finish off with another race season where I can have big blocks of time in between. I don't think you could pay me to race 15 times a year if I care about my performance. If I truly want to maximize potential, get lost. Get lost. You kidding me? Never going to run my best. Ever. If I'm truly going out there and racing. So, And if I did again, I'd have to have seasons. Like we did back in high school and college. I would have to have a build, you know, really burn hot for up to two months, reset, build, burn hot for two months. They'd have to be still very segmented. When you looked at the year, they'd be clusters of races, but not like every four weeks I'm racing. Heck no, that's not a recipe for success. What's your official tipping point? Right around 12. So 12, you take that deal. Yeah, but that's under the assumption that I have to bury myself or run all out every race. You're trying to perform your best at every time you tell the start line. Yeah. And I would have to fudge the system. I choose that because if I only get two shots at it, I'm not sure that's enough to maximize a race. But you can time trial. You can do anything you want in training. You can figure yeah. it out. Yeah. But like high rocks, for example, I don't believe you can be at your best in two high rocks in a year. I just don't. There's I agree so many ways to get it right or wrong that I think. And so in order to get not to, I need to choose 12. Like I'll choose 12 to get not to is my answer for a lot of these things. Now, if I were able to run at 80 to 90% in some of these races, give me any number you want almost, but I would fudge the system by choosing different types of races. Like I would choose a trail race with a ton of vert that was eight miles long. Mm. It's not going to trash me the same way as like a 5k or a, and for OCR, I want more than two reps on the obstacles to maximize it. You make Great points and um, very valid arguments. What if it was a pure run standpoint? Let's say your goal is to run your fastest 5K to marathon. Um, pure run. You're on the roads. Let's just like isolate that one piece of it. Because you for OCR and hybrid, you're absolutely Marathon, right. yes. I wouldn't pick two. If I was a hybrid athlete, there's no way I would learn what I need to learn. I would have to... I would have to race more often. It just... In the, at least in the first year or two. Um, then two anyways. Two is not enough. So what do you think, pure run standpoint? I think you could get by with two, but I... The problem with only having a certain amount isn't necessarily that you can't nail it. If you nail your training and your time trials, it's that now you have to nail it. Mm-hmm. Like there's some, there's some relaxed version of you that races better than the under pressure version often. So I don't know if I would just be comfortable with knowing if this first one doesn't go well, it has to be the next one. Yeah. But at the same time, you see people come in and set an American indoor record in their first race of the season. Like It can be done, 100%. And the more fitness you can build, the easier it is to hit it because you're not racing your way into shape like we used to. And, of course, we're not taking out – we're, like, leaving out the side of the conversation. Like, I enjoy racing and seeing my friends. I do this. Like, it's going to fulfill me more even if I know I'm not going to perform my best. But I'm saying objectively which one – would like I think what I'm trying to outline for the listeners how important we think it is not to race too much. Like 
I would pick two over 15 races yeah. a year. That's kind of mind blowing for some people. Like 15 is not a lot. Are you kidding me? I raced 35 times last year. Like, right. But like, I think the value of training and keeping your bullets in your chamber ready to fire when it matters versus using them sporad- all the time. There's just value to that. And I just didn't know what your tipping point would be, but I think I could be convinced of 12. I would take 12. as. I will say this though. If yeah. it were mountains or ultras, I'm choosing the over every time because we don't live near it. I need more time to get out there and destroy myself in the mountains. So I will do that once a month for like, or twice a month for six months in order to get ready for my two at the end of the year. That would be so invaluable. Ultras too. I'm not going to want to do all the things in training needed to get me bulletproof for an ultra. I'm going to need to run some ultras along the way. So track 5k mile, even an 800, give me two. I can time trial as much as I want. I can bring rabbits in to bring me through 600 and 121 or what, you know, whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Not that those times matter, but there are some races where you only find out by racing. So I'm giving you a terrible convoluted answer. If you're coming through 600 and 121, you're doing something. You're doing something right. What are you running? Not anymore, but that was college days, right? Close in 30 and that's a 151. Did you ever run 151? Well, no. <laughs> yeah, that's ripping, man. I don't know if I've ever come through six and 121 or anything. Anyway, my I, the numbers don't matter. I'm just saying, like, you can get through 121 through six in training with a partner to just pace you. Yeah. You can take yourself there. What are you going to do? Have someone pace you for 45 miles to prep for 100K? I don't <laughs> right. know. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. I'm grabbing this one by the horns now because I want I got things, I, itches that need to be scratched here. All right. Th- we can end with this. So scratch it well. Well, okay. Well, I think a good place to start and whatever is the mileage conversation again, which we sort of touched on. You can run three yeah. days a week, no cross training, no, no other form. You're capped at three days a week and your possibilities are unlimited to what you do with those three days. Okay. And let's say we are racing a 60 to two, 60 minute to two hour race somewhere big, pretty big. There's actually very different, a 60 minute to a two hour race. Let's say it's 90 minutes. You're projected. Let's go right in the middle. 90 minutes projected finish time. You can run three days a week, unlimited possibilities, or you can run six days a week capped at 60 minutes. What are you choosing and why? You can do anything with those 60 and minutes what's as the well. cross-training for version one? None. There's no cross-training in any version. Three days a week, unlimited, six days a week capped at an hour. How, <laughs> of course, this is me asking more questions. How long are we out until our goal race? Or is this for life? Uh, let's say six months or life. Six months to life. Isn't that a typical sentence? <laughs> yeah. Six six days six days a week. Every time. <laughs> so funny. I'll pick the other one every time. Look at this. I would pick the three but days. You don't a get week. to cross train in between. I understand. I can strength train and do other stuff. That's okay. Fine. I would pick three. I'd pick three big old workouts a week. I think. If I had to. If I'm racing for ninety minutes, I think so. To start twisting my arm around a ten K, then of course. Like even an hour, then you were talking. But for me, I think yeah, I think I need, I think I'd pick three. I, I made half a career off of three. So like, whatever, I I can figure it out. Yeah, but you cross-trained in between. You knocked that off with your sense. And here, here's the big thing. From a performance standpoint, if I put in three 15 to 20 <clears throat> mile days, double, I, it'd be, you know, I'd be on the double threshold or double workout plan for at least two of the three, hitting quality long runs. You would get monster fitness out of that. But it would only be quality for the most part, other than some easy long runs in there, which means where does my enjoyment come in? 
And that is something that if you would have asked me again in high school or college, I would have chosen your route every time because I didn't enjoy running. I enjoyed thrashing myself and racing. Now, there is nothing on this earth, fitness-wise, more enjoyable to me than heading out onto the trails for an easy run or a cut down. And I would take all of that out of the equation. And so I couldn't sustain it. Well, I'm actually talking from a pure performance standpoint. Like, which one do you think would get you to the start line? I know. And then the finish line fastest. Um, but no, there's val- I'm not, neither is a wrong answer. For me, I think about this. What's six days a week? And say you maximize your 60 minutes, that's six hours on foot. I think we get close to the same time. I think on three days a week, I'd be at five hours a week, which I have done well on. Yeah. It'd be two hour and a half sessions and a two hour long run. And uh, it'd be an hour and a half easy-ish run. It'd be an hour and a half with quality in there, and it'd be a two-hour long run maybe with some threshold intervals or something. Uh, I'd get one enjoyable run a week where I'm just putting time in, but you're right. The other two are going to have probably some purpose to it, but I'd still choose it. Okay, I could see either side because I'm a proponent of frequency and consistency. I believe almost everyone, we're also assuming you're choosing this because you can be healthy in either one. Correct. And if you can run more often, you should. And so I believe there's huge power to that. And just the efficiency and economy of motion with moving more frequently. However, I'm also a huge believer in going past 60 minutes, especially of quality. And so if I never got to do that, I would have to still be on the double quality session run Mm. or only quality three times a week because I can't make up for it with big volume workouts. So maybe... If you had given me a two-hour cap one day per week, it's not even a question to me. But now the more I think about it, maybe I have to go to three days a week unlimited because I can double with that. You can. I can hit quality in the morning and go for it easy, enjoyable. No, that's a good point. You could you could still get your enjoyment. You would just have to condense it into those days. What Where's your t- this whole tipping point game? Where can you be bought, right? Four days, does that change it for you? If it's like, okay, four days a week unlimited or six days at 60 minutes, is it much easier for you to make that decision then for no-brainer? Is that now a no-brainer or not even enough yet? Three versus four actually doesn't change it at all for me because either way, I'm probably going to crank on three. The fourth's just going to be recovery. Right. But at least you get your to me, you know, listen to the birds in the trails and watch that. Yeah. Looking at it. From just math, (laughs) which these are numbers low enough that I can nail this. Six runs per week versus three doubles per week. I will hit the same frequency of running. Yeah. So you've converted me to three times per week, no limits, because I will double at least two of those days. I will get my easy runs in. I will get my enjoyment runs. And I can get my long run and my quality doesn't have to be capped. And I believe in so many of the runs that the sweet spot is between 60 and 90. That's the golden hour of fitness building. I agree. That I couldn't forego that at this stage of my life. However, if I were training 5K or less, I would still take this the 6 by 6 And I agree with you fully on that. But if it's longer than 5K, all you would have to do is extend me up to two hours once per week. And I stick with the six day. I would even consider 90 minutes once per week enough. That would be my tipping point. Mm. But without that, three unlimited sessions is the way I would have to go. And I I hate that you talked me out of that, but you're right. I didn't talk you out of anything. You talked yourself into this. I just sat here and you talked yourself into this without me really justifying much. No, you said your words 
are what changed it for me. I don't even remember what I said. And I don't like that. Uh, I got very comfortable. I'll tell you why. Because I got I get very comfortable in the fall. Like, if I only run three days or four days, like, I'm going out in the woods and hiking around and doing my deer hunting thing or whatever. And there were a few weeks, like, I ran three days a week this fall. I ran maybe four days a week. Not even that much volume. And, like, the fitness I even started popping and building off of that because I was, like, had purpose when I put my shoes on. I was like, huh, I could, I could do this. I could... I could pull this off if I had to, like, and yeah. still get there pretty well. So I've I've lived through that when I've had other focuses in my life, and I'm like, wow, like these numbers shouldn't be here because I'm only running three days a week, and albeit it was only maybe for a few weeks in a row, still is like, okay, my body must respond to that, and maybe yeah. more rest as you get older is helpful and all that. Well, here's here's the way I've settled upon thinking about this. I've many times said, if you just have an hour per day, you can be a world-class athlete as long as you can find one day <laughs> per week yeah. where blank. And you're taking that thing, and that's the caveat there is the like the binding agent to that plan. Mm-hmm. You can no longer be world-class past probably 10K. I'll even give you 10K on an hour a day. But past that, I just don't believe you can be world-class with only an hour a day, never any longer. And, and on the told, other one. I'm saying, and truth be told, if I was capped at an hour, like I would do a 10-minute warm-up instead of 15. I would jump right into my quality, and I'd bring that baby all the way up to 59, 59, and I went to a cool-down. Like, I, that's how important that like time and volume. You'd have to like find ways that way. I'd roll into the first interval. I yeah, roll into it, and then I'd cut her right to the wire, and that's it. I start walking. I, the watch hits 60. I'm done. Yep. I wouldn't be cooling down or none of that because I wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to afford that that waste of time. And it would stress me every day or every quality session <laughs> because I'd know I'm like, oh, just if I could have. And so that for maybe for that alone, it's not worth it to me. However, if you start looking at it logically, if you're prioritizing three days, you get up really early on those three days. Let's say I'm out the door running by five or six a.m. and get my big workout in. And I run again at 6 or 7 p.m. Almost like two days. That's six runs per week still. And is that any different than waiting until 6 the next morning? Like a little, but from a frequency. There's, al- and, there's always a way. Yeah. That's like six sessions. So, yes, mm. I'm fully converted. Three, <laughs> three days only. I have 24 hours to fill them as needed. And I can rest 24 to 48 hours between every workout. And then... I'm just lifting. I'm playing basketball. You're hunting. Life's good. I think the the moral of today's episode is where there's a will, there's a way. And I think in any scenario, if you get creative enough and are willing to move the puzzle pieces around, you can figure it out. I think really, if we, especially the back half of this conversation today, it's like, if you want it bad enough, you'll figure it out. Given your life situation or parameters or whatever. Immediately after this call or this recording, I'm getting on a call with an athlete. The only reason we're having a conversation at all is they asked my opinion on doing dumb things in racing or training. And my response was, and I say this, I've probably said this four times in the last two weeks since I made a post that I have coaching openings and people have been reaching out asking my feelings on things. And my standard response to everyone is, it's not my job to tell you what your goal is is dumb is to find the smartest way of doing that dumb thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what this episode is, right? Like you could have this most foolish situation, but we can talk ourselves into a smart way of, of dealing <laughs> with that. Yeah. We all can. We can talk ourselves into anything. And that's comforting. Yeah. 
I think that's well said. I'll be curious what this athlete's dumb ideas are. You should record the conversation. Maybe there's some teachable moments in there. Have them sign a waiver first. Teachable moment. All right. Well, we did it. I guess that's a wrap then, huh? That's a wrap. I want to hear what some of these situations are for some people out there. Like, what have you done blank without blank and then done well or terribly? Like maybe it imploded and cratered. These are interesting stories for people who care about this type of thing the way we do. Honestly, the only story I really want to hear, like if I'm going to limit people, I want to hear somebody who wasn't able to run like the last two weeks leading into their race and it went well. The one who either got injured or sick or something and they couldn't run. Like, what did you do? How did you get there? And still run well. That one intrigues me a lot because people can train for six months for an A race and then something pops up at the last minute. I've, I know there's got to be some people out there with that story. I didn't run a step for a month and I went out there and crushed it. How? I want to I get that mm-hmm. knowledge. If anybody has that story, I would love to hear that story. I would love to interview you about that story. That's what I want to hear. Kirk DeWitt, running coach at the Running Public, only wants to hear stories about people who didn't run. <laughs> hey, we've had non-running guests on. That's a legit request. All right. Well, Kirk, thanks for putting up with this today. Coming in totally unprepared. You did admirably. It was a good idea. I liked it. Thanks, Bracken. Thanks, listeners. We'll see you next week.